You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Therapy has been an invaluable way for me to process the difficulties I sometimes experience as a mother, and I recommend it to every mom I know who wants more emotional resilience and tools to support their family. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and 3 and 30 listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash 3 and 30. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash 3 and 30. Welcome to 3 and 30 a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. I recently surveyed this 3 and 30 community of moms and asked for topic ideas. And I have to admit, I was surprised to get so many responses for content relating to teenagers. In the past, many of you listening have asked for content relating to young kids, but I guess as the podcast is growing up, so are our kids. And many of you, like me, are realizing that our kids aren't so little anymore, and we need some new parenting strategies to keep up with them. These are a few of the topics that you requested in that survey. Helping children be prepared to leave home and succeed in the world. Parenting teens who are transitioning to adulthood. Parenting preteens. How to keep teenagers involved in the family when they don't want to do things. Giving independence but still having expectations. Helping our teens to launch. Parenting adult children. Anything on teens. Mine is so hard for me. Parenting toddlers is so much easier. These messages are so relatable, and I found the perfect guests to talk to us today all about teenagerhood. Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson are comedians, mothers, and hosts of the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. They have six teenagers between them, ranging in age from a young tween just entering adolescence to a young adult who just entered college. These women have so much experience and a refreshing perspective when it comes to motherhood, and I am thrilled to have them on the show today. Here's our conversation all about raising independent tweens and teens. Margaret and Amy, welcome to 3 and 30. It is so fun for me to have you on today. Thanks. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Well, it is a treat for me to talk to fellow podcasters and fellow mom podcasters who've been doing it for a long time. Tell us a little bit about your show, What Fresh Hell, before we start, and then we'll get into our takeaways. Sure. Our show is called What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Amy and I both come from a comedy background, and so we decided really to do a comedy mom podcast. That was our original inception. And then as we developed it, we sort of realized, but wait, we also want to, as you do so well, give someone something to take away from it. So our basic raison d'etre is that we take a topic such as picky eating, homework, why is this such a hard time in COVID right now, whatever it happens to be. And through research and humor, we try to solve that problem in every mm. episode. 
<laughs> some are more solvable than others. Some are more solvable than others. <laughs> like how to yell less. You don't how solve it. How to yell it. less. Yes. So we we often arrive at, okay, we solved it, but we recognize it's a lot of this stuff is an ongoing journey to say the least. Oh, yeah. And I know a lot of listeners of my show love your show. They've mentioned to me how much they enjoy listening to the two of you and what great mentors you've become to them, even though they don't know you as oh, nice. podcast listeners. So it's a treat to have you here today. And as I mentioned in the intro, I have gotten so many requests for teenager content, parenting teens and tweens. I think that a lot of the listeners who listen to 3 and 30, they're in a, maybe a similar stage of life to me. They started listening when their kids were little, which I started my show when my kids were little. And now we're reaching the tween years and I'm kind of freaking out, you know? <laughs> rightfully <laughs> things, so, things... <laughs> Rachel, rightfully so. Right. Get ready. And I'm getting nervous. And I think my listeners are too, because that surprised me that so many of the survey results were, please, I need help with the teen years. Help me prepare. Help me get through this. So the two of you have six kids between you and four of the six are teens. That's and right, I would right. say, Margaret, that your two younger are tweens, essentially. Oh, they're you're, solid tweens in every yeah. way. So you have some good experience with this, and you're going to share with us today. We're going to solve it. Teenagerdom, <laughs> we're going to solve it. Don't That's worry. Right. We got this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's hear it. What's your first tip for solving teenagers? <laughs> you know, the good news is that this is a gradual thing, I think, that we have found as our kids get bigger, that some of the same approaches that apply to younger kids still apply to bigger kids. Hmm. They once in a while will seem like aliens that landed in your backyard. But most of the time, it's the stuff that works for your four-year-old will, with some adjustments, work with a 14-year-old. So the first one of these is scaffolding. Your kid is the building and you're the scaffolding. Or as Margaret likes to say, your kid is in a boat and you're on the shore saying you might want to tack left. You're not in the boat. You're not steering their boat much as you might like to, you are providing sort of guidance for them. And that mm -hmm. guidance, you build that structure around them as your kids get older. And then as your kids get old enough, you start to dismantle it. You know, mm -hmm. I have a college student now. I don't know if he's going to class. That's not my job anymore. Similarly, I have a uh, now 17-year-old who I'm still waking up for school some morning because he has a hard time getting out of bed. I go back and forth. I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. You're too old. I'm not going to wake you up. And the mistake comes, learn from my mistake, when I just one morning sort of didn't wake him up and then was like, it's not my job to make sure that you're up. But I hadn't let him know that this was going to be the new plan. And so then he was <laughs> frantically running around super late for school, furious at me. And the headline is mom's a jerk, right? Mm. Not, wow, I really need to be taking more responsibility for myself. So I would say like the scaffolding has to be dismantled as your kids get older, but with a lot of notice and pretty gradually. Yeah. You can't just one day pull down all the scaffolding and right. expect what for that scaffolding? Right. It's not my job to like much as you will want to, that that is not going to get you what you want, which is more independent kids. Yeah. Yes. And I think that the scaffolding is not only for teenagers. This is something that you should be looking ahead to. If you have a two-year-old right now, this is important because this is your future yeah. and that supporting your kids in developing their own strengths and methods is your job. Your job is not to get obstacles out of their way. Your job is not to make them into a certain type of human being. You know, kids have very different temperaments. They have very different strengths and weaknesses. And I think that if you don't 
learn when your kids are young that you are not completely in control. That lesson is coming for you like a freight train when they are Mm. teenagers. And so (laughs) it's a great thing to practice as your kids are growing up because this will come at a certain point. If you're trying to control everything they do, someday they will have a car. You know, you have to sort of see the big picture, I think, to get ready for this. Mm. And how do you start to slowly dismantle the scaffolding without just, you know, in a rage one morning, (laughs) crushing it all down? I'm not doing any of this for you anymore. How do you do it in a more methodical way? Yes, it can't be all at once. But then ask them what that should look like. Like my late riser, when my like surprising him one morning by not waking him didn't have the effect. This is a kid for whom natural consequences don't work. You know, like if I don't wake him in the morning, he doesn't get up, but he does need to be in two more years, a kid who gets himself out of bed. So Mm. we sit down and we talk about that, not in the moment, right? At a time when he's already chatting with me about something else, because, you know, teenagers are not open for conversations with you very often. But when the garage door is up and they're talking to you, which they suddenly will be, I took that moment to be like, hey, you know what? I'm thinking about this. I know you have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. It is hard to get out of bed in the morning. I'm thinking about college. I'm thinking about how can we get you to a place where you don't need me to come in and get you? What should we do about that? And I let him come up with the solution, which in this case was an obvious solution. Like, I guess I'll set my own alarm and then you'll come in once, but then that's it. I'm like, okay, let's try that. And that's working. Sometimes the solution that your kid will give you is way different than the solution that you would have come up with, but it's better to let them have a say. And I'll I'll put a fine point on the scaffolding thing. I have a child who's very disorganized and completely forgets their homework every single day. So mm-hmm. then I'm at the choice of like, do I bring it and save them or do I leave it and let them face the consequences? So that is not working for either of us. I am upset all day that he doesn't have it. I'm worried about it. He doesn't have it. His grades are affected. And like this kind of binary choice is coming up every single day. So what we do instead of facing that choice daily is that we try to build back from there and say, okay, what will work for you to get your homework in every day? At some point, I helped him letter homework in a silver pen on his black backpack. But then, of course, after a certain time, you see it, you get used to it. Okay. Mm -hmm. He came up with the idea, let's put a piece of paper on the front door, and it's a checklist, and it has like a chart. And so every day, he puts his stuff in his backpack, and he puts a check in the box that he has everything he needs for the day. It's not foolproof, but it's not me walking over, opening his folder, putting the homework in, putting it in and like saving the day. I am kind of playing this background support role of let's help you come up with a system to manage. And it's also not me screaming, you need to be more organized. You need to stop being so, you know, head in the clouds because that doesn't work either. I am a person who still forgets my toothbrush every time I travel. (laughs) And believe me, my mom tried to get me to be more organized my whole life. It didn't work. What I need is a million systems to handle the way that I actually am as a human being. But if we're doing those things for them, if we're like always racing in, bringing the homework, putting it in the backpack, you got to find your place in like that scaffolding role. Yeah. I completely relate. My mom said I was an absent-minded professor and it totally fits. I still need a lot of systems. And I think it is a real gift to kids to teach them how to create systems Mm -hmm. and to teach them, okay, you often forget your homework. Could you take a picture of it after you're done with it and email it to your teacher? Like thinking outside the box of just 
how are we going to support you with all of these different aspects of growing into an adult? You know, I also couldn't get myself out of bed when I was young. (laughs) Me neither. My mom tried everything to motivate me. And then finally she said, I'm just not going to drive you anymore. It wasn't a sudden like rage. I'm not going to drive you anymore. She tried everything else. And so I called a taxi. And I know you guys live in New York City, so maybe that's not that weird to you. But I lived in suburban like Littleton, Colorado, and there were no cabs driving around town. But I was like, well, my mom won't drive me, so I guess I'll call a cab. And after paying with my babysitting money a few times, I started getting myself up for school. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, It's such a good example. And it's something even with my littler kids, I have started doing rather than like, now you need to get dressed. Now you need to brush your teeth. You've got to finish your breakfast. The new rule in our house is the car leaves for school at 7.50 and you're in Mm. it or you're not in it. And they've missed it a couple of times, you know, Mm -hmm. and then they're upset. They're late. They have a motivation. They want to go. They want to miss the consequence of it. But I'm not micromanaging how they handle their mornings to get in the car. And I think you can start that work pretty young. Yeah, I agree. It's a process and you're not done when they're teenagers. I was hustling my 17-year-old out the door this morning. But over time, you know, it's a gradual letting go. And again, some kids need more structure, need more reminders than others. That's okay. Have the structure and the reminders so it's not mom's being a jerk, right? You can't argue with the checklist on the back of the front door, but you can argue with mom being annoying. Yeah, totally. What do you do if natural consequences don't seem to matter to your child? Like for me, I liked school. I wouldn't have just not gone to school. Like my mom could say to me, you're going to have to figure out how to get to school because she knew that I would go to school. What if you have a kid that's like, sweet, I'm staying home and they just don't care. Then what do you do? Number one, you have to know who your kid is. I come from a very school-based family where everyone in my family went to a four-year college. It was very important. And I have a kid who is struggling in school and I'm kind of processing this thing of like, maybe the bar for this kid can't be straight A's and you're going to Harvard, you know? And, Mm -hmm. And maybe it can, he's young, But I think that you need to say there are some rules in our house. You have to go to school in the morning. I have a kid who says, you know, I don't want to go to school. In Mm. this house, the rules are you're going to school. That is not an option. You have two choices. You can walk to school in the cold because you missed the car or you can get in the car at 750. But those are your two choices. There's no choice outside of that. But where you can give them wiggle room and encourage, you know, this kid is extremely artistic. And I always try to say to him, listen, you're amazing at art. That may mean that you're not the world's greatest mathematician. And that's fine. I'm an artist. My husband is a mathematician. I say, you know, dad and I have really different strengths and it's fine to have different strengths. But not turning in your homework is not an option in this house. That's Mm. a whole wider conversation of how you get to that point. But I do think you need to know for yourself, what are the hills I'm dying on? My kids are going to school. Mm, Yeah. And so that's the hill I'm dying on. That makes sense. Amy, do you have anything you want to add to that question? Just I I think when I hear natural consequences, what I think of when I hear that is, well, you forgot your science test and so you don't have your science test. And I have a child for whom that stuff would be deeply shameful and 0% effective and having them not remember the science test the next time. So I don't mean that you spend your whole life rescuing your kid. I just mean watch the story of 
that being what will solve the kid, right? Mm. Like there are some kids who will keep being late for school even when they don't have any more money for caps. And those kids need more support, right? And I think sometimes you're given the message like, do you just remove the scaffolding? They're on their own, figure it out, kid. That often works. And then you'll have the kid for whom it doesn't. And then it just needs to be more gradual. Yeah. Oh, that's so important. Let's take a quick break to thank our partners who make this podcast possible. This podcast is sponsored by Pros Hair Care. There's no one-size-fits-all solution when it comes to hair care. A product that works wonders for curls might make straight hair limp and greasy. I personally struggle with oily hair, and I envy women who can go for days without shampooing. But now that I have my personalized pros routine, I can honestly say that I am starting to fall in love with my hair. Pros makes custom hair care that's effective because it's personal. They start by asking about you as a person with their in-depth online consultation. Pros asked me really unexpected things like my zip code so they could consider how much pollution my hair experiences and my eating habits so they could consider the type of nourishment my hair is getting. No judgment, just information. Next, Pros analyzed all my answers and determined what unique blend of ingredients should be in every product of my custom routine. I am most excited about my new Pros pre-shampoo scalp mask that I let soak in before I hop in the shower. It helps with that oiliness I mentioned, and it smells like eucalyptus. Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash 3in30. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash 3in30 for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. This podcast is also sponsored by ButcherBox. ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat directly to your door. We are talking 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, humanely raised pork, and wild-caught seafood. High-quality meat matters a lot to our family for the taste, the nutritional value, and the more eco-friendly sourcing. But we live in a small town in Idaho where it is not easy to find this kind of meat, especially in large quantities. That's why I'm so thrilled by ButcherBox's meat delivery subscription, where you can get 8 to 14 pounds of humanely raised high-quality meat delivered to you each month at affordable prices with free shipping. It makes meal prep, cooking, and grocery shopping so much easier to just know that meat is going to arrive on your doorstep. Shipping is always free, and this holiday season, ButcherBox is proud to give new members a free turkey. Just go to butcherbox.com slash 3in30 to sign up. That's B-U-T-C-H-E-R dot com slash 3in30 to receive a free turkey in your first box. This conversation about what if a kid just won't go to school or they won't do what you want leads really well into your second takeaway. So (laughs) tell us that. Our second takeaway We love a biological imperative on the What Fresh Hell podcast. A biological imperative is something that humans do because it serves a biological need. Yes, it keeps the species alive. Yeah, yeah. So our second takeaway is that rebellion is appropriate. It's a biological imperative. It's a biological imperative. You've heard the phrase leaving the nest. And it is important for your children to separate from you on every level, which is hard for us as moms because we like the closeness, but rebellion is age appropriate. So this is where teenagers should be. And it doesn't solve all your problems, but what I like about a biological imperative, I had a doctor say to me when I had a colicky child, 
crying is the only exercise babies get. And it just helped me change my mindset in terms of like, this kid won't stop crying and it's driving me crazy. I would just say it to myself like a mantra. And I would look at that baby and think, look at this baby getting great, healthy lungs and exercise. It doesn't solve it, but it does help reframe it as like, this is a natural and normal thing that is happening. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a great thing and a really important thing to take away when you're thinking about teenagers. Mm. Teenagers, they're wired to be rebellious because they're getting ready to leave the nest. And they're also wired to be risk takers specifically. We had an author on our show. His name is Jess Shatkin, and he wrote a book called Born to be Wild. And he argued that in order for the human species to survive, right, cavemen, we needed the strongest, the the cavemen and women in the peak physical condition Hmm. to be able to take the greatest risks and go find the water and the food and that kind of thing. That's teenagers. Our teenagers can have resilience and strength, right? And they can get by on three hours sleep and they can do things that we can't. They're wired to be risky. Knowing that helps us understand they're wired for risk. They're wired to want to take risk. And so his book sort of argues that trying to tell teenagers that drunk driving is risky or that unprotected sex for teenagers is risky, they know that. Mm -hmm. We don't need to convince them that it's risky. They get it. That's why their brains seek it out. What we need to convince them to do is have a better attitude towards risk and teach them how to be safe around things rather than, don't you understand that's not safe? Yes, I do understand it's not safe. That's That's why I like it. That's why I like it so much. Yeah. And so does this mean you just accept that your kid is rebelling and say, whatever, let them rebel? Or how do you keep this in check? How do you honor the biological imperative while also keeping them safe and keeping your family in a non-chaotic place? I think they're very separate. So again, your rules are your rules in your household and you should know what your rules are. Because the other thing I will say, which has also helped me reframe stuff, is the phrase boundary-seeking behavior. So a lot of times as kids are flexing their muscles and trying out new things and saying, shut up, I hate you, you're dumb to us, they are looking for the walls of their box. Because without walls, without bumping up against something, kids feel very unsafe. And this feeling of excitement of like, I don't have to do what mom and dad say. I'm my own person. I have my own identity. I don't have the same values as my parents. It's thrilling and also really scary for kids. My mom was a family therapist and she always used to say like, keep your boundaries tight because your kids will go outside of them. And that's okay. That's part of their process. But if your boundaries aren't tight, they have nothing to push against. It's like being formed in a crucible, right? Like if they don't have that something holding them together to make them feel safe, you're their weighted blanket, basically. Mm, And so you don't abdicate your role as their walls, but you understand that like their job is to slam up against those walls all the time. And so hopefully the perspective of this biological imperative of rebellion gives us the idea when they keep slamming into us the same way that listening to the baby cry, oh, this is how they're getting their exercise and that you can kind of step back a little bit as you're holding your wall and say, oh, look at them being a completely appropriate and age-appropriate teenager. 
right? It's like you're expecting it. So it's not a surprise to you. You don't have to be angry about it. You're just like, yep, they're pushing their boundaries just like I knew they would. Right. And something that struck me, Margaret, is you said that whatever boundaries you have, they will go outside of those. So if you don't have any or if they're really, really loose, they'll go outside of that as well. They'll go even farther out. So keep your boundaries tight knowing, okay, what is acceptable to me and go a little bit tighter than what is actually acceptable to you. Is that what you would recommend? I would. And we had Kate Anthony, who is the Divorce Survival Podcast on, and she was talking about finding her boundaries with her ex. And she said, we're constantly adjusting them. Like sometimes we do stuff and I'm like, oh, this is a little too much. Like this like fourth dinner this week or whatever. Like this is a little too much. And she's like, you can constantly adjust. You don't have to make a decision. You know, my kids recently came to me everyone's at a squid game. They're like, they want to watch squid game. And I looked at it and I was like, no, that's not good for me, you know? But as my 13 year old wants to see scarier movies than I'm comfortable with him seeing, I look at them and sometimes I'm like, yes. And it's so delightful for kids when you open the boundaries up a little bit and you let them advocate for themselves and they win the argument and they get to go see the movie that, you know, is really exciting. So You don't want to become a wall of boundary noise where you're just like, no, no, you can't. No, you can have discussions. You can move the lines a little bit. But I think where parents start to feel really lost is when the boundary seeking behavior is getting more and more out of control. It's usually to me a sign that your boundaries are set too wide and like that's causing a ton of chaos. So you can just move them in. Interesting. And saying yes sometimes is important. My daughter came to me a couple of years ago and she was like, I have something I want to say. I want to shave my legs. I need to be allowed to shave my legs. And everybody in the class, and she would just was loaded for bear. And I was like, uh, okay, all right. And she's like, <laughs> you're you know, like, she great, like, shave your legs. For a knockdown drag out. I'm like, it's, it's not fun. And you're going to be doing it for the rest of your life. And it's <laughs> not as exciting as you think it is. But if you want to, I, I, I hear you. I guess maybe you're supposed to. And yeah, she just was like, like she had all this, you know, pent up fighting energy that she was mostly delighted to not have to expend that she got an easy yes. Yeah. And sometimes like in that holding the door, holding the wall metaphor, we get too invested in that job. Like I am here to hold the line. And I think it's always good to check in with yourself and say, yes, is is part of my vocabulary, you know? And, and I do think with teenagers, you get very like, no, 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 keep them safe, keep them contained. And that always looking for those times when you can say like, go ahead outside the boundary a little bit here. You don't really nod them in that you're in on it, but (laughs) that's a thrilling feeling for kids and a needed feeling to complete this cleaving process where they're like, I am leaving these people behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're there thinking, don't leave me behind. And they're like, yes. (laughs) Except for some days when you're like, could you leave now? (laughs) Michelle Eichard, she wrote a book called 14 Talks by Age 14. And that's sort of her main takeaway of the book that your kids are doing the normal and necessary work of pulling away. And she thought the sort of tweendom that if you're talking about the tough stuff with your kids when they're 16, 17, 18, it's a little bit too late. You need to be doing this before age 14. Interesting. When they still like you a little bit, you know, when they're still not ready to reject everything you say out of hand. Yeah. That that's when you get started. So that's that's actually our third takeaway. Can we talk about that? Perfect. Yes. You need your kids to want to talk to you. They don't. They're doing the necessary work of pulling away. <laughs> we have a couple of sneaky ways that have worked for us to get them to want to talk to us. Mm. And the first one was something that was in Michelle Eichard's book, which was, if you know you have to have a tough conversation with them, 
I know you're going to want to, I don't know, go to this party that I know will have college kids at it and, and that it's not for you. To pick a short car ride, like do it on the way to school, do it, I don't know, in the, walking into church, you know, something with clear boundaries so that both of you know this conversation is going to have a beginning, middle, and end. I know you don't want to talk about this, but we're going to. Mm-hmm. I, I saw what you had in your phone. I didn't like it. You're too young for that stuff. And I know you don't understand that, but I do. And I know what's right for you. And I'll see you tonight. You know, like those conversations, it's okay to keep them short and have your kid be like, okay, I see the school at the end of the street. So this won't be forever. That's a good way to have the difficult conversations. Yeah. And I love that when you're driving, they don't have to look at you. You don't have to look eye to eye. When I was a teacher, I was in like a professional development class and they talked about, especially for boys, that biologically eye contact is threatening Mm. and that if you want to talk to a hard student about a hard behavior, go for a walk with them down the hall. Say like, hey, come with me so that they're side by side with you so you're not staring, looking at them in the eye. And for me as a woman and also as a very like emotive woman, I'm like, look at me when I talk to you. Are they really hearing me? And I've had to accept that for my son, but I think really for all children, When you're having those hard conversations, they don't want to be looking at you. And the car is a great place to make that more natural to have those conversations. I would also say it's important in these conversations for you to know your reasons, but it is not always important for your kid to know your reasons. Because I think a lot of times we want to like saw open their heads and pour perspective in and that that actually doesn't work. And it's something I give up on more and more every day. For example, I went to a party when I was 16. I just got my license. I was very unpopular in high school. I never got invited to parties. And I went to a sleepover and the neighbor was having a party and we kind of snuck out to it. And right away, I realized I was in way over my head. Like the kids were pressuring me to drink, to drive them. And I was saying yes to everything because I just did not have the, whatever the skill set to say, Mm. actually, these are bad choices and I don't want to make them. And I look at that and I think I'm really glad that my parents were strict enough that I did not end up in more situations like that because looking back, I was so unprepared to say no at age 16 to any cute boy. And I would have ended up in much worse situations if that was somewhere I was every Friday and Saturday night. Mm. That perspective is useless to my kids, I think. I think it is okay for you to say, this is the rule in our house and you have to obey it. And then I sometimes find myself compelled to be like, because you see, I wasn't ready and I know you're not ready in this. And I just much rather you wait until college when you're much more able to navigate these difficult. So it's very hard for kids to see you and their perspective relating to each other. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is somewhere that we sometimes go wrong in talking to our kids in terms of, well, I'm going to explain this to you and you're going to say, oh, yes, mother, I understand. That is very, very elusive. And I think you shouldn't get hung up on the rule isn't the rule until they understand why it's the rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can have these conversations too. I think they're more frequent and they're way shorter, right? Like we're not going to have the, this is your brain on drugs, any question, half hour presentation now, son. That's not the way to do it. And the really weird thing, there are things my kids know more about than I do in terms of what's really happening on Snapchat, what's really in those edibles. You know what I mean? They know more. And I have the risk of, if I do do a presentation on the (laughs) risks with edibles of them being like, she doesn't even know what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. But I can say to them, hey, I just saw this article in the New York Times this week. Lisa Damore wrote this article about the dangers of edibles and how 
What's really weird is that you really don't have any idea what's in them. And that's what makes them especially dangerous. Did you read it? I'm, I'm going to send it to your phone. And then I drop it. And then mm-hmm. at least they've heard me say the word edibles without my head exploding, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not lecturing them. I'm just bringing it up. I'm just putting it down and walking away, hoping that I'm showing that I'm askable and relatable, you know, for one minute. Yeah. I love that. I had a guest on my show, a sex therapist, who talked about how we shouldn't be having the talk with our kids. We should be having a thousand one-minute conversations over the course of their lifetime about sex, you know? I think that's so true for so many of these topics. Rather than sitting down and having the talk or the presentation, like you were just saying, just weaving it in, talking about it as it comes up, dropping little nuggets of wisdom and hoping that they're picking them up as, Mm -hmm. as you're going along and making it natural. And so they see, oh, mom isn't afraid to talk about this stuff with me. And as we always say, ages and stages, this starts a lot earlier than you think. And keep the perspective that your kid is hearing about sex, drugs, edibles, Mm -hmm. uh, squid game, whatever it happens to be that you may not feel comfortable talking about. They're hearing about it from someone. So make sure that your voice is part of that conversation. And they're hearing about this stuff younger than you think. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. I had in mind before having kids, like we'll start talking about sex when they're 13. That seems reasonable. (laughs) That sounded really old. Yeah. (laughs) It's, that's not how it works. Mm -mm. And the other thing that you find is life gets in the way, right? I mean, we've had things that came up with my kids, all sorts of stuff that's happened in our family, in their schools. We are talking about things that are pretty scary and advanced when they're six, seven, eight years old, because They're going to come up and it's probably better. I'm terrible at this, so I'm giving this advice to myself. Lean into those conversations, whether it's something you're seeing on TV or something you're reading about in a book. And don't be afraid of scary topics because if you can't be there with them in those scary topics, it doesn't mean those scary topics are not coming into their lives. Yeah. And I think as parents, we're so afraid that we might introduce an idea to them. Yes. That if we right. talk to them about this, then they'll be like, oh, I never thought of that. Now I'm going to go do it. <laughs> you know? We always talk about Amy at, what were you, like 11 years old, that she used to sit on the fire escape behind her school and explain stuff to the other Catholic school kids? <laughs> Yeah. I was the fifth grader to explain the facts of life to the other girls in my grade completely like incorrectly. I was a fount of misinformation. Oh, wow. And that's your only choice. It's you or it's Amy (laughs) Wilson in the fifth grade. Exactly. Make the right choice, moms. And it's so true that they probably will have already heard about these things from other kids. And if they haven't, you bringing it up and talking to them about it isn't going to like forecast them doing it. It's going to actually probably like inoculate them more from making risky decisions and behaviors because they've heard you talk about it and they kind of know the truth about it versus just other kids on the playground. I think that's right. I have one more tip for this that is a little bit easier than like, I have to talk to my kids about this stuff I don't want to. I have found that the teenager who thinks you're an idiot or whatever can't resist when you say, so did you see what happened at Jet's practice today? It looked like Sella was saying something to Zach Wilson. I guess I read something on Twitter about it. This is how I get my kid who doesn't want to talk to me to talk to me. I go where they go. I have a kid who's really into the NBA. I have a kid who's really into the New York Jets. I have a kid who's really into this YouTuber podcast thing that does not appeal to me, but I know a little bit about them. 
so that I can throw them in a conversation because they find it irresistible. It's what they really, really, really want to talk about. And I'm not saying I get my PhD in the MBA, but I know more than I used to. And it's because that's what makes my kid happy and what he really, really wants to talk about. I always joke that Amy relates to her teenage boys like a girl who has a crush on a boy. She like does research the night before on what they're into. And then she's like, hi, just wanted to know if you want to discuss the MBA, but it worked. It totally works. It totally works. If that's what they want to talk about, then that's what I'll do, right? I'll meet them where they are. Not all the time, but a little bit. I love that. I feel like that is such a positive way to interact with them and a positive way to kind of wrap up our three takeaways. Ending with that, like connecting with our kids is what matters, sharing what they're interested in and loving them and being their friend in an appropriate way, being their parent, but also being their friend will build so much more connection with our teens and our tweens. So thank you so much for coming on 3 and 30 and for sharing these takeaways. Where can listeners find your podcast if they want to tune in? You can find What Fresh Hell Laughing in the Face of Motherhood, as we like to say, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Facebook at What Fresh Hellcast, and we also have a great community there so that you can talk to other listeners from the podcast. People are sharing mom advice. Great place to be. You can find us everywhere we are at whatfreshhellpodcast.com. Perfect. Yeah, all our episodes are there, and you can search them, and we would love for people to come find us. All right. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on today for your wisdom and we're grateful for your time. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Rachel. I am feeling reassured and I hope that you are too. Amy and Margaret really calmed my nerves a little bit about what is to come and I feel more confident and equipped to mother through those tween and teen years because of their three takeaways. And let me recap those for you. First, build and remove the scaffolding gradually. As parents, it is our job to provide structure and support as our kids grow, and then we need to slowly step away and let the children stand on their own. We can't do this all at once in a fit of rage. Well, we can, but it probably won't work as a long-term solution. Instead, we can support them by talking with them about their ideas to take responsibility and working with them to create systems to support themselves. Second, remember that rebellion is an important developmentally appropriate stage for teenagers. Not only is it something you can't skip, it's a stage you shouldn't skip. Teens are seeking boundaries and they need you to be their weighted blanket to keep them secure. But it's important not to be surprised when they push back against that. It's part of their growth. And third and finally, use small moments to get your teens to talk to you. Short car rides or walks to a destination can make a challenging conversation feel less threatening. Also try to meet them where they are and show interest in what interests them so all of your conversations aren't just about discipline and issues, but rather you're building a real friendship with them. I hope this episode eased your mind a little bit like it did for me and reminded you that we are going to be okay and so are our kids. Let's just keep loving them and loving ourselves. I'm rooting for you and I hope you have a great week with your family.